Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Jamaican jazz piano legend Monty Alexander. He elaborated on his latest 2019 CD, Warika Hill, covering the classic Thelonious Monk album, and it refers to a place in Jamaica where Rastafarian musicians used to gather, located behind Monty's childhood home outside of Kingston. He looked up at that hill and dreamed quite a bit. 2019 has also been a banner year for him to celebrate his 75th birthday, six professional decades in the music industry, and he also got an honorary doctorate from the University of West Indies and was the recipient of the Commander of Distinction title from the Jamaican Prime Minister, P.J. Patterson. Over time, he's played with legends like Ray Brown, Dizzy Gillespie, Milt Jackson, Sonny Rollins, and Clark Terry. But it was after his family moved to Miami, Florida in 1961 where he played at various nightclubs and got the attention of the great Frank Sinatra, who would eventually fly him to New York. He explains this story and so many other great tales, so please dig Monty and this interview, my friends. Monty, it is an honor and a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for taking a minute out today to talk with me. I'm delighted. Go ahead. So let me go ahead and start off with this latest album, uh, Warika Hill, which is a location in Jamaica. It's a beautiful album. I love the, the way that you've remastered Monk's original tunes. Talk to me about this album, how it came about, and how you feel like it came out. I, th- I think just a, a, a simple um, inspired moment. I just played a concert in Germany, in Munich, Germany, it was about four years back. I sometimes play with a band that has both American, what you would call classical jazz musicians, the guys who are about the tradition of jazz. And I also have guys from my home country of Jamaica. So the whole thing is a come together of two cultures, two lifestyles, two worlds, and I bridge the whole thing because, indeed, I've tasted all of it, you know. So I thought about a good way to present the music and the concept I'm doing. And one of our icons of jazz music is Thelonious Monk. I, I always enjoyed his songs, his compositions. And I always recognized a kind of a influence of the island rhythms in a lot of those tunes that he wrote. Now, I'd seen Monk in the, when I first came to America. I'd seen him on, uh, on stage in New York, and I actually met him a couple of times. So I had this personal connection and the feeling of how he wrote those tunes. And I found out, as I went along on this, call it inspired idea, that he indeed grew up from the age of five after coming from North Carolina. He grew up from the age of five among a community of so many, so many people from what we used to call the West Indies, the West Indians, which were, which was a term mainly applied to the British, the English-speaking uh, Caribbean people, not so much the Hispanic. So it all came very smoothly in my mind as I thought of this song and that song. We're going to record these tunes with that extra dose of Jamaican vibrations. And as I went about it, it just came out like a perfect marriage. And and the, and a big part of it was because where I grew up in Kingston, Jamaica, right near my house was this hill called Warica Hill, and that's where I saw from the age of about eight years old the men that we call Rastafarians. That was the, the uh, philosophy, religious group of people who 
who had a way of looking at things that was, you know, it had the Christian basis, but it had the the Jewish basis. It had all these different mergings, and they were very uh, strong with their philosophy. And they would go up into the hill, this Warwick Hill right near my house, and play played their drums in the worship services they would have. So you would hear this music, and it just got down in my my guts, let's put it that way. And somehow, as a young person, and I came acquainted with Monk, I saw him as one of those people. So I felt this uh, connection through Monk, through the Rastafarians, and of course, Jamaica's influence on me. So I'm sorry for that long explanation, but that's pretty much how come it happened. Uh, no, I love it. And the other thing I wanted to piggyback off of was in 2019, you turned 75, and you got an honorary doctorate. It's been quite a year for you, huh? Wow, every, every year is quite a year for me because I, I never <laughs> believed I would have had a quote-unquote career in music because I'm a natural musician. I never really went to music school and studied a lot of technical stuff. I, I don't really read music. I'm, I'm one of those people that just was able to sit down and play from when I was very young. And so everything that, hap- that comes my way is like a, a gift. It's, I, I constantly say, man, here I am. On that, on that ride again, you know, just going from place to place. I've traveled probably more than most of the guys that do, that do what I do. And I've seen the world, and I'm still seeing it, and it's still brand new for me, you know. So I enjoyed the fact that I got a doctorate, and the Jamaican government gave me a, a degree called Commander of Distinction because of Goodwill, Goodwill Ambassador and all that. I am um, I'm, I'm, I'm quite amazed and surprised, so... I'm a, I'm a lucky guy. So from the outside looking at Jamaica, just looks like one of, the, one of these magical places full of charm and music and culture. What was it like to grow up there, and how, how much of Jamaica influences what you do as an artist? You know, as you uh, grow, increase in age, let's put it that, you, 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 if you had a good memory of, of your childhood, you keep remembering that because we're living in a very cluttered world, you know, things are just, you know, so much coming at me, you know, with all the technology and all, all, of, all of what you have to do to stay, keep at pace. And I think of that simple lifestyle back home in Kingston, Jamaica, it touches me in a, in a, in a warm way. And I remember Jamaica was not a perfect situation at all. There were struggles from one side of society or another, issues where people were having a hard time, no question about it. But there was an overall feeling in the air, you know, hey, man, things are so good, you can go to the beach <laughs> or just go, you know, hang out with your friends. And there was something about growing up in Jamaica that is so um, memorable for me. And as the years went by, then things changed, of course. But for me... I have a wonderful memory of what Jamaica was like growing up, and it, it's still that strong remembrance is still there, very strong. So in over six decades in the music world, you've been around and been fortunate to have been around the likes of Ray Brown, Dizzy Gillespie, Milt Jackson, Sonny Rollins, Clark Terry. You know, as you were growing into the music industry and your jazz voice, what did these legends and luminaries give to you that really stuck that made you who you are now at 75? Being around my peers, actually I'm going to say my elders, was a, a gift that I had 
to appreciate and respect these men who had been there doing this wonderful thing with music. And just to be in a room with certain people and hear them talk was just the most wonderful thing. I just loved being a part of that, the fact that I may have been ex- accepted to be in their company. When I met Mill Jackson and I met Ray Brown and I met all these people, I just couldn't wait to go be in their company because I got to know them as friends. You know, they took me and said, hey, come on, kid, you know, hey, come hang with us. And they heard me play. They welcomed me into their fold of very special people because you had to pass some kind of test. <laughs> Does he understand what we're about? And somehow I did when I was able to fit in. So I, when I play, I draw on my, my uh, it's more than memories, you know, my experience having been with these people who were larger than life. When Ray Brown started talking about when he was with Duke Ellington here or there and, and uh, he was with all those great men, he came from Louis Armstrong and all the musicians, it, it rubbed off on me. You know, it wasn't like reading it out of a book or hearing somebody in a classroom like I think young musicians, talented musicians are dealing with today. I got it firsthand from the people who were there. They were in the same room. You know, I, I can remember the smell of some cologne they were wearing, to put it like that. You know, We talk about life. We talk about food. We talk about people. And it was that's what the music is. The music for me is a mirror of the life. Especially those experiences I had, you know, with the people who are the ones that make the music. So, uh, your answer, your, your good question, is is a strong answer of the people. The people make the world go round. There it is. So, w- did you always know that you were going to become a musician? This was going to be your career. Or were there other things that were on your radar? <laughs> well, as a kid, I wanted to be a cowboy, right? <laughs> or, <laughs> yep. Or I wanted to be an airline pilot. Or I wanted to be, you know, all these ideal things you see, you know, on the movie screen. And so, and I like that, I like that. And um, I didn't choose music. I tell people, and I've heard some other people say this, music chose me. Because it was such a magnet, it was just something I loved to do, that when I sat down to play the piano, I just enjoyed it so much. And I noticed that people would come around while I was playing, and they would enjoy it too. And I, from a very young age, I was, I was making music for people around me, and uh, certain things that you would do when you played that would touch people, and uh, I saw that from a very young age. I started playing when I was three or four years old, and, uh, you know, I I just wanted to be around the musician, so it just kind of happened. It just fell in place, and one day, somebody says, hey, kid, we want you to come play at this function, and it was a job. They were offered me a job. I couldn't believe it, and, and one day, I'm in Miami, Florida, when I first came to the U.S., in the 60s, and I'm playing in a club, and none other than Frank Sinatra and his company of friends, they saw me playing. And one thing led to another, and Sinatra himself told his people, he said, this, this little guy can play. We should get him into in New York. And that's how I got there. That's how I came to New York. I didn't come <laughs> pursuing a degree in music or any of that. I got my degree in uh, life. <laughs> Beautiful. So in 60-plus years as a musician, what's been the most pleasurable thing about being a professional musician? Oh, man. When when you're playing and you realize you're with a group of other musicians and you're celebrating this experience where everybody's uplifted, 
musically and you you hit some points while you're playing that are so meaningful to you that your your attitude could be you know you could be in a certain mood and everything changes so music i found out is is an incredible healing force and i found that and when you know that and you have that possibility in the palm of your hand you know it's it's just a very valuable it's a valuable thing and to come together with a bunch of other people that feel the same way is very uh powerful and you see how it affects a room of people whether it's uh, a couple of hundred or two thousand you know and occasionally i play in big uh, venues in europe i go and I, i'm in germany and switzerland and i'm playing in front of 2500 people or i'm playing in a little uh i i'm i can say i graduated the bars and the saloons more than most people today, because I really saw that culture, you know, early days Miami and New York, when uh, you saw those um, late night guys coming to booze away, you know, drink and party, and you know, I was there around that environment as well, you know. So, anyhow, this music thing is a is a real wonderful way to and to see people come together who may not have had a relationship and they walk out at a club or the because this the concert feeling a, a sense of uh, friendship with one another that's that's a powerful thing so having these important you know birthdays the, the 75th and getting honorary doctorates has to give you a level of pause and to look back on your life so my question is is i think a lot of people might take for granted longevity but as far as i'm concerned that's something that's probably hard to do what has been the key to your longevity how has this happened so consistently for you to release such quality stuff all the time? I have this um, strange uh, attitude that I, I just started. Let's put it that way, quote-unquote, I just started. What's going on? I'm, it's, it's all brand new, you know? The feeling that I'm in, a, in, a, in the candy store and that's a, a big bowl of jelly beans, you know, that's every sense of every little thing that I do taps into that enthusiasm I had when I was very young. And um, that keeps you feeling young. And when I hear what's going on today with music, and even though it's so different from what I grew up hearing in, in terms of musicians playing, I mean, now we've got machines and gadgets playing songs and all that, I still have the the, the tendency to check it out and see what the, what's that about, Where where's the... Where's the people connection, you know? So I'm mean, still interested. I hear some hip-hop kind of rhythms. I'm, I'm in, interested to hear how they put it together and where, where it makes you want to get up and, and dance because, to me, the dancing is a big part of the whole thing. I mean, rhythm, especially coming from Jamaica, is a, is a part of life, you know? And when, and when the rhythm hits a certain thing, you, you, it engages you, and that's what I keep listening for. But I, so for me... Melody and rhythm and harmony, these are these magical things that when they come together in a very organic way, it's the kind of thing you think, you know, you can change the world to be a better place. And um, the age thing is, I don't know, I'm, here I am, 75, but I feel like I'm 15, you know, in many ways, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you have played on so many stages all over the world in front of so many people, and I have no doubt that you've inspired and awed people for their first time that they ever saw jazz. So my question to you is, the one that's kind of the originator and further of that notion in people, 
What was the first jazz show that you saw that really blew your doors down? I don't think I had differentiated between this wonderful word called jazz and music itself. Music, I just liked all music. As a kid, I, I, I heard all kinds. You know, I heard pop songs from the USA, uh, country songs. I mean, hey, you know, right now there's a wonderful program that Ken Burns has done about country music. It's, it's, it's a series going on right now, and uh, the, the, bit by bit, all these different segments of this program. He did it with jazz before. Ken Burns, a great filmmaker. And um, I'm completely riveted to the whole thing because that was a big part of my childhood to hear the Western songs, which for me was Americana, if you will. You know, I heard I heard uh, artists maybe you not you don't remember, but you know Eddie Arnold and Tennessee Ernie Ford and uh, Hank Williams and uh, and and Roy Rogers and Gene Autry. I heard that music, but I was also listening to rhythm and blues from New Orleans on the radio. So I heard. Fats Domino, Little Richard, Sam Cooke, and we saw them in Jamaica. And I would hear guys playing, and I would just get, call it, taken. And I was grooving to everybody's music when it was, when it was rocking and swinging. And then one day, I heard Louis Armstrong. And he was, to me at that time, who was this gravel-voiced guy making me smile? And everybody smiled, and I saw him in Jamaica. So I would say it was Satchmo that had the biggest effect on me because I saw him in concert, and my father, I begged him for a trumpet because I wanted to play the trumpet, and he gave me the trumpet, and I, I really couldn't get around it too well, and I said, nope, no more trumpet. But but I had a lot of fun being around you know, all the different people who played a musical instrument, even the classical people who, to me, as a kid, I saw them as very you know, structured and you know, studied and... And I don't want to say the other words because at first I would say these these people are stiff, they're rigid. What's that? Because I was around people who were relaxed and and loose, and they'd sit and they'd play a note on the piano, and it was full of life, you know. And then I realized these other people were had this book in front of them, and they had to study what notes that, what is that, what's that? And <laughs> I wasn't very good at that, you know. So the thing about jazz, it just kind of bit by bit flowed off when I was in the company of people who were about that. I was in Florida when I first met Cannonball Adderley. I'm remembering this now, and to me he was this larger-than-life, almost like Louis Armstrong, because he was on the stage making people feel good. It was a feel-good thing. I'm, I'm going on here real long, but just to tell you that jazz, uh, and, and by the way, I've come to a place where I, don't, I, I like to say Americans give to the world it's, you know, is this music, and I call it America's classical music. It's our... Beethoven and Brahms and Mozart, you know, give it some dignity, you know. Jazz is a good word, but but it came out of a, a negative situation, the name itself, actually. I'm going on a long time to tell you that I was uh, taken from the first time I heard a musical note, and I still am, you know. Yeah, no, that's beautiful, and I'm so glad you brought up Ken Burns. I was just talking to somebody, and they were telling, I haven't seen the, the show yet, but he was talking about how good this series is, and I was thinking about that jazz series, and just how he makes it very evident, no matter what genre of music you're dealing with, how interconnected everything is, and how everything feeds into itself, and how jazz or American classical music is the precursor to what we call hip-hop and rap, and how everything is just interconnected. It's, it's such an interesting look 
into the world of music. This man, Ken Burns, who I've never met, but I've seen him with his various programs. He did things on baseball. He did things on other aspects. You know, he did a thing on the Civil War. He did. He's got such a high level of of integrity about everything he's doing. You know, he's looking for the core uh, and the human uh, experience while he's telling his to- stories, and there are true stories. And me having had all that early life, I was just taken in by. Simplicity, by the way, you know, when, when you can play two, three chords. And by the way, that's Jamaican music, too. You know, you have three chords, and there's a whole lifestyle in those three chords when a guy's singing an old-time Calypso song, you know, uh, and then you hear, uh, back in the saddle again, you know. These are all little simple tunes, and I love them all, you know. And when I heard com- complex music, and I would hear it played beautifully on the piano, you know, I'd hear you know, Rachmaninoff, and I'd hear that. I was taken in because of the sound of the music. So all these different elements grabbed me as a young person to want to get a sound out of a piano, in a w- not that way or that way, but that way. And I became a kind of, you know, private student of this whole journey, that when I touch the keys of the piano, when I get a relationship with it, something comes alive. But going back to th- th- this series, I recommend it to everybody to observe that because this is a real story about America and it taps into African-American history as well. It's not just what we think is country music. No, it's the whole scene. And um, he did a great thing with uh, jazz itself, you know, the the history of the whole thing from, you know, early New Orleans and, you know, (laughs) New Orleans, we like to say, is the most northern part of the Caribbean, New Orleans, because... It's, we're all connected. There's something in the rhythm. We're all connected. And, and talk about mixing things. I always was a guy who liked to mix stuff, but I didn't realize I was doing it. But I would bring the classical sounding piano, let the piano sing and ring kind of an approach into something that normally had a real street vibe, you know, and bring it, bring it all together. And that's kind of what I did on some earlier efforts with Jamaican rhythms and so on. And this new thing about Monk that I did was so natural to me that um, I imagine that if Thelonious was alive today, he would, be, he would write some of those tunes with what Jamaicans call the one-drop beat, which is what you hear in Bob Marley's music. I, I just imagined it all working well together. And that's kind of why it came off the way it did. And I'm so, so happy that people have liked my, my effort called Warica Hill. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So I think everything's going to come down to this, and I want to know this. Everyone has their version or perception of who they think you are, your family, your friends, your fans, but you're living your own life. Who do you think you are? <laughs> Man, that's, that's, a, that's a weird question there. It's a good one. It's a weird one. Man, I'm just living every moment, you know. I don't, and I try not to analyze it because to me it's all magic. I live a magical life, and I mean it when I say that. That's how I feel, and every day is a, a new day for some a new opportunity for magic is either going to be a beautiful magic or one that you're going to, hmm, that could have been better or something. So who do I think I am? I'm, I'm just still this little guy from Jamaica, you know, just observing, looking for a mango tree, you know, looking for the most delicious mango I can find. That's right. That's me. Beautiful. Monty, thank you for opening up. Thank you for your music. I really appreciate your time today. I enjoyed talking to you, Joe. All the best. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and legends from Jamaica, New York City, Miami, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe. 
giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Monty for his time, cool, and all that great music. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino in the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.